0: Uh, although this may not be so much of a Christmas message, I will drop some Christmas clues along the way, and we're going to get more into the thick of it uh, next week. But uh, you know, if I'm going to talk about the glory with you, um, I'm going to maybe have to start out with a couple of definitions, just so that we're, we know we're all talking about the same thing here. Um, and it's, it's good that if I give you a definition that I find something in Scripture that backs it up. You know what I'm saying? This is, a word, this is a word church. We're a faith church, but your faith has to be in the word because the word is true. There's a lot of people believe things that aren't true. That's what you call make-believe. It doesn't make it happen. doesn't make it work. It doesn't pan out. But when you put your faith in the eternal word of God, it does indeed pan out. Something does shift and change. The miraculous does get released. And so that's my testimony to you. And so let's just start off with Moses. Moses was a guy. Come on, he's a prophet. He's a deliverer. He's a national leader. And uh, it's interesting. Moses had this phenomenal relationship with God. You know? And at one point in his walk with God, he's getting to the end of the book of Exodus. So it's getting to the end of his story part of the story, he just blurts out, show me your glory. And and, and, and we think about how he said that. But actually he says, I beseech you. Show me your glory. That's, you know, when you're having to beseech somebody, that's almost like the same word as beg. And I don't like to beg God. You know what I'm saying? But there is a time in your life where you have to cry out to God. And this is what Moses wasn't crying out for. He wasn't crying out for a healing. He wasn't crying out to be delivered from his enemies. He found out what the real thing that he ought to be crying out for is the very glory of God. And that's what he decided with all of his hearts. That's what he decided he would break all protocol and say, I want to see it. They knew if they saw it, they'd die. But he didn't care. You know, David said... Your loving kindness is better than life. If I can just touch that loving kindness, lay a hold and have a glimpse of your loving kindness, it's better than this life anyways. Come on. What could happen? (laughs) You know? And think about it. Right as Moses is saying, show me your glory, in the same chapter or the chapter before, the scripture talks about how God would meet Moses at his own tent. So we know the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God would be. But did you know that Moses had his own tent outside of the camp, and he'd go there to meet with the Lord, and the glory of the Lord would descend there in a pillar of cloud. And so he would meet with him in his tent. Isn't that interesting? But he met with him in a pillar of cloud. And, 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 and so a lot of times, we'll, we'll talk about a few scriptures where the glory of cloud is almost equated to the uh, the glory of God is almost equated to the cloud that accompanies it but that cloud is really there to shroud the brilliance and the magnificence of the light within of the person in the middle of that cloud it's there for your own protection and Moses is saying i want to see beyond the cloud i like the cloud it's awesome but i know you're in that cloud and i want you Show me who you are in that cloud. And then the Lord says, you want to see my glory? I'll show you my goodness. So the glory of God is the goodness of God. Come on, I like that. Come on, you ask God to show you his glory. He's not going to show you his badness. He's going to show you his goodness. Come on, he's going to show you he's good. He's morally good. His character is good. If he writes a check, he's got the money in the bank. Come on, it's a good check. If he says it, it'll come to pass. And so this is what happens in the next chapter where this meeting takes place. Because the Lord warned him, I can only show you my back parts. Otherwise, you're going to be completely eviscerated. You know, it's like, okay, I'll take the back parts, you know. And so in Exodus 34, 5 and 7, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. So he starts declaring words to him. And then the Lord passed in front of Moses. You see, this is where he comes out of the cloud, calling Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I like that. You might think that that's, a, like, that's a weird two things to say together. You forgive it, but you don't excuse it. What he's saying is I'm not going to sweep it under the carpet. we got to deal with it. I'm not going to, I'm not. you know, I'm, not because you think you're cute. I'm just going to forget that happened. Right? we got to deal with this. But I will forgive it. Come on, he's not going to sweep it under the carpet. He's not going to pretend. He's not going to play games, but he'll forgive it. I like that. Come on, because I need that. Come on, maybe you're here in this morning, you're thinking, well, I don't need any forgiveness. I got news for you. <laughs> come on, I need it. Come on, I need, I need like an like a, you know, automatic refresh. Come on, I just need to stay in a state of forgiveness. And that's what the gospel affords us anyways. So I just want to show you, listen, the glory of God is a good thing. The glory of God is something, come on, it, it is God's manifestation of his person to you. This is when he, you know, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, always at the same, come on. But he can actually manifest himself in person. He can actually, it's almost like he's concentrating who he is, but to you, all right? And so the, the words that are used to uh, describe the glory of God by definition are words like heaviness and weightiness. You know, there's bad weightiness and heaviness, but there's also good heaviness and weightiness. Come on. Um, Worth is included in this concept of of glory. Wealth is included in this, you know, concept of glory. Honor, ultimate victory, the greatest of highlights. You know, maybe some of you were born in the 80s like me, and then Dodd and Cherry would release Rock'em Sock'em Hockey, you know? Those are the highlights. Those are the fights you want to see, the hip checks, you know? This is like what we get excited about, right? But this, the glory of God is like the best of God. This is God on display showing you who He is, you know? Um, I don't know why they stopped making those rock'em, sock'ems, but uh, anyway. Anyway. Um. So listen, it it carries the idea of magnificence, power, and authority, and when God unveils himself, okay? And then listen to this, just so you can get a glimpse of the scope of God's glory. In the book of Revelation, at the very end of that book, uh, chapter 21, 23, it says it's talking about the new Jerusalem, and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Well, that's just pretty heavy. Come on, the glory of God is enough to light up a whole city. The sun and moon's there, but you don't need it. Come on, there's just this, come on, there's this concept of light, this concept of power. It's just amazing. And so the scope of God's glory is absolutely just staggering. And that's what I want to get across to you out front, because we're going somewhere with this. I hope this isn't like a Bible lesson for you, although I'm teaching Scripture a little bit and I'm preaching it a little bit. But what I really want you to do is shift into focusing on what the Holy Spirit is doing to you right now. What is He saying to your heart? You can actually just like switch over and listen to Him while I'm talking. I'm okay with it. Because I'm telling you, the Lord will minister to you this morning. Listen to this about the glory of God. Psalms 113 and verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory is above the heavens. Come on, he's above all the natural stuff, all the politics, all the he said, she said, all all the media, all that stuff. He's above it all. But also, he's also above the heavens. He actually made the heavens so he can dwell in it. He has to condescend even to go and sit on a throne in heaven. That's how majestic his glory is. Come on, the earth is my, come on, the heavens is my throne and the earth is my footstool. We're talking about somebody who is that magnificent. He always was, he always will be. Nobody created him. He has life in and of himself. Come on, he speaks it and he creates it. And he's good on top of all of that. And so just to get a sense of how awesome his glory is, I want to build your faith because he has a purpose, and he has a hope for glory. Come on, the all of who he is, he has a hope for who he is, and it involves you. In Exodus uh, chapter 40, uh, 34 and 35, Moses is, uh, he just completes building the tabernacle or the tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and then Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled it. So, the glory of the Lord is something that can fill a place, can fill a space, can fill a tent, and it can be so amazing and so out there, so other, that you just can't even do anything anymore. Come on, it's all done. And so we see this when Moses dedicates the temple, uh, the tabernacle. We see this also when Solomon dedicates the temple. Now look at this in 1 Kings 8:10 and 11. When the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. It's amazing that God had ordained the service for priests to conduct, but then went and short circuited the whole deal by showing up Himself, rendering it not essential anymore. When His presence is there, you don't need the religion, you don't need the ritual, you don't need to go through the motions if His presence is in your life. Why would He ruin His own service? Come on. That's what I want. Come on. That's what I want today. I want the presence of the Lord to move in you, through you, and to you to such a degree that all the religious concepts and all this stuff just gets blown out of the water, and you realize it's just Him and you and His love. So this is how the glory of God manifests on the earth. But there were some prophets, you know, that that actually got a glimpse of God's glory in the heavens also. And so, uh, Isaiah is one of those fellows. So, in chapter 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just imagining that, start to feel real good. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew around. And one called to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. There we see glory again. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Even in heaven... Come on, the place gets filled up with smoke and cloud, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and seraphim are shouting back and forth, and the whole place is shaking. How do you shake heaven? It's spirit. Come on, <laughs> come on, it's just so amazing. Ezekiel saw something very similar. And you saw the chariot of God and everything else. Check that out. Just flip open to Ezekiel. Read chapter 1. And if that's not enough, read chapter 8. It's a very similar description of God's glory in heaven. All right? And so let's look at some of the promises of God's glory. I'm just trying to show you how, paint this picture of the glory of God. We can't go too in-depth of it because this is a Sunday morning service and we don't have all, all day. But I want you to know that it's awesome. I think we got there, okay? But there are some promises that God made concerning His glory. You know, the, the, the seraphim were shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. So isn't it a shame that many people who are walking on the earth today, many believers even at that, are unaware of the fact that this whole place is filled with the glory of God. What if that we could just turn to him and acknowledge his presence, that he doesn't have to come here to be here. Come on, we just have to pay attention. And it seems like he walks in the room, but really he's just becoming more real to us. So look what happens in Habakkuk 2.14. A prophecy goes out. It's almost like the mirror of what the seraphim were saying. For the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the water covers the sea. So there's a time coming when not only will the glory of the Lord fill the earth, but people will begin to experience it. The knowledge of the glory. That means I know it, I've experienced it, I'm in it, it's happening to me. That's what I want. Come on. The, the, I want you to know that these are those days that were prophesied. Haggai two nine. As we talked about, you know, the, the tabernacle being filled with the glory of God. And we talked about the temple of Solomon being filled with the glory of God. Haggai 2 verse 9 says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So think of that. This is talking about the church. Come on, greater glory than that which even occurred that was so great, nobody could even stand up anymore. They were all laid flat out. This is the kind of glory that God has on the table for us. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 5, it says this as a prophecy, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people shall see it together. The Lord has spoken. Isn't that amazing? What kind of a prophecy is that? that? That's the kind of prophecy I, come on, I want for me. I want for you. I want for the nation of Canada to get into a place where the glory of God is revealed to every soul in this nation, every person on the planet. Psalm 8411, this is what I like. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Come on, we need both. We need the grace and the glory. He's not giving you the glory because you deserved it. You had a great week. Thank you very much. You ticked every box. No, no, no. He's giving you his glory because he loves you, and he's giving it by grace. There's no possible way that you could earn something so magnificent. So he gives it by grace. I will give you grace and glory, and no good thing will I withhold from you that walks uprightly. And so all of these prophecies, they culminate not in just an event where smoke fills a room. They don't culminate where somebody, you know, all, all these kinds of amazing things happen. Those are awesome. But these culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. This is when the Lord reveals His glory in Jesus. Come on. And so in Luke chapter 9... Verses 28 and 36, we see this here. Now, about eight days after these things, he, Jesus, took Peter and John and James, and he went up to a mountain to pray. It's good to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. That's when things start to get heavy. You know, his face changed. You ever seen somebody's face change? You know, you ever see somebody start, begin to sparkle and become dazzling and begin to radiate light to the point that their clothing is, is shining at you? And it's just like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something's happening here. And so what's happening is Jesus is revealing his glory. The Father is, come on, watch this. I'm not just saying it. Verse 31, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. He's talking about the cross here, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy asleep. They went into a stupor. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. He was in such a stupor. He's like, let's just make some tents, you know. I don't know when the last time I was in a stupor and I decided to make some tents, but this will happen to him. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed all of them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Come on, you want to enter that cloud, my friends? And the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Come on. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days of what they had seen. So the glory of Jesus is that he's endorsed as the very son of God. And they saw it. Later, Peter was saying, look. He's writing a letter to the church and he's like, Look, guys, I'm not telling you cunningly devised fables. I'm not telling you fairy tales, guys. I saw his glory. I saw him change before my very eyes. I saw him one way in one minute, in another minute, the Lord opened my eyes and I saw him bright, shining as the sun. I was so discombobulated, I thought I'd make some tents. Come on. This is Jesus. It's just awesome. And John had a report in in his recount of the gospel and he said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, John was there, he saw the same thing. I beheld his glory. This is his testimony. This is what he has to stand before God and give an account for. And he has to tell us that I saw his glory. I beheld him. Come on. I love it. Lord, that we would behold your glory today. Yes, Lord. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, the author writes, he, talking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There we have it again. That Jesus is not only the manifestation of the, and the fulfillment of the glory of God, but he is the radiance of it. He is the best part of the glory of God if there is such a thing. He's that sparkle at the edge of the light. Jesus is the best part of the glory of God. So we have the scriptures saying that the Father is the Father of glory. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of glory. But Jesus is the brightness of the glory. The glory personified. Jesus embodied to the utmost every word of what God told Moses he was on the mountain. Compassionate, slow to anger, forgiving, good. That's Jesus. Think about what he did as he walked around town. Ask the woman who was caught in adultery and everybody in town wanted to stone her. Ask her. Come on, he was compassionate. He was merciful. He looked at her and he was like, okay, well, the first of you that's without sin, you cast the first stone. Go ahead. Do you know that he is without sin? He could have cast the first stone, but he decided not to. He decided on mercy. He decided on compassion. He decided on another chance. Come on, that's the kind of God I serve. He's good. And we need, come on, we need we need to represent Jesus as that to the world. Here's the thing about the glory. Jesus walked around town, healing, healing the sick blind, the deaf, the mute, people that had demons, he cast the demons out. He cast out 5,000 demons out of one madman, and apparently the next morning, he was ready to go to work. He was normal. He said, go back to your family. Come on. And, and, And so he did all these amazing things, and these were glimpses of his glory. These were clues. Come on, he raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. Those who hadn't walked in their whole life, it's like, Go ahead, get up and walk. He, he released prophecy after prophecy. He discipled 12 men. Come on, he, come on he, was, he was just amazing in his earthly ministry. But that did not all culminate. The fullness of God's glory was not yet revealed until he got to the cross. The glo- J- see, the thing is, Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. And, and the brightest moment of the glory of God is when he was on that cross, my friends. Look what he said and in, in, while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John 17, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Come on, he was the lamb that was slain before the world existed. He was talking about, let's do this. Let's go to the cross. And so all what he suffered when he sweat blood, when he was betrayed with a kiss, when he was falsely accused, when he had a false trial in a kangaroo court and a show trial and, 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 and the injustice that he suffered there, when he was slapped in the face and he was punched and he was, they spit in his face, this is when the glory of God was on full display. He was whipped and scourged. He was stripped naked and humiliated. You call that glory? Listen, if the devil would have known What he was doing when he did it, he never would have done it. He never would have orchestrated the whole cross. Because the devil can't understand the goodness of God. He can't understand the love of God. He can't understand the glory of God. The greatness of God is shown in this moment of suffering and brokenness and humiliation because that's the only way he could reach someone like me. The only claim I have to Jesus is not my good behavior. My claim to Jesus is the cross that I deserved. And it's at that cross I get to lay a hold of him in his glory. He endured the crown of thorns. His beard was plucked out. Come on, he was made to carry his own cross, the very instrument of his death. His nails were, you know, nails were driven into his hands and feet. He was taunted, and ridiculed, rejected. He was traumatized. He was asphyxiated, and he was hung up before his own people. And guess what? He was misunderstood. He was pierced with a spear, and this is the best of Jesus because this is Jesus in his love. This is Jesus and is exactly fulfilling everything that God told Moses on the mountain. This is me and my compassion. This is me and my mercy. He didn't have to do that. He said, I could call ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels. I can, I can fold this whole thing up if I want to, but no. Because in Hebrews 12 too, it says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. That's the glory of God. Why? Why? What was the joy that was set before him? A young man named Cole on the front row. Mark Murkowski, me and you. This is the joy. I get to bring these guys home. I get to remove the sin that's making them ashamed. I have get to remove the guilt that's making them, you know, that's a hindrance to their life and their destiny. I get to put them on a new path. I get to live with them forever because I love them. That's the only way he could do it. He said, Father, is there any other way? No, there was no other way. This was the way. Come on. And he was happy. <clears throat> he was happy to do it. The joy that was set before him. In those moments, he was filled with joy. Come on, he was, he, was, he was filled with joy. Being rejected to the same people he was sent to, and he was filled with joy because he was looking at meetings like this all over the globe today. Now, I want you to know, if he did not die on the cross, we would not know of the glory of the resurrection. I mean, this is where he defeated hell, death, and the grave. This is how he defeated sin. The Scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we that didn't know righteousness could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became sin and died as sin to finish sin from having any say-so in your life. And we get to receive him as such. The devil couldn't figure it out. He couldn't do the math on that. Half the church can't do the math on it. But I'm telling you, you just have to receive Jesus. There's a glory in the resurrection. Paul said, "Oh, that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and in the power of his resurrection." We need to know the both. Come on, I don't just want to. I want to suffer, and I want the victory. Come on, Jesus isn't dead anymore. Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Jesus is not just raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven and he's seated on the throne and he's just doing fine. Thank you. He's the head of the church. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's been glorified. He's been coronated. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords and he's coming soon. I'm going to be ready. Come on. I want to stay ready. Come on. (laughs) Come on, Jesus. Listen, this is why the veil was torn at that moment. The veil in the temple kept the people safe because the glory of God in there, uh, only a high priest. So you had to be born of a certain family within a certain tribe, within a certain nation, and only one of those family members once a year could go into this place that was so holy that he might not come out if he goes in. And there was a veil. There were two veils that separated it. But when Jesus died, that veil was torn open. This is because the glory of God is being revealed to us. That was the sign and the wonder that the glory is being revealed. The glory of God is in Christ Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. And so we don't have to go any further than that. We don't have to get any fancier than that. We just need Jesus. We just need Jesus. We just need the Holy Ghost. And so the whole idea here is we just need to receive him. And that's the name of the message, the hope of glory. We don't just get to, wow, that's really cool what he did. The message is in Colossians 127, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory. You want to know what the riches of the glory is? and the mystery among the gentiles it's Christ in you the hope of glory i just explain how jesus is the epitome and the best part of the glory of god he and he displayed it on the cross and on the resurrection and on the ascension and the scripture is saying he will become one with you when you receive him the scripture is saying that he will become one with you in reality It's a very nice theological truth. But what happens when it happens to you? You become born again. Everything changes. Your sin is taken out of the way. You become a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Things that weren't possible before become possible now. He anoints you. He'll release gifts and and fruit in your life. And so I think of it this way. Faith is when you believe Him, and when you agree to serve Him, He'll anoint you, and you want the anointing. And then when you operate in that, you're moving in the gifts. But listen, the glory, the glory flows with His friends. Come on, are you a friend of Jesus? Have you built a history with Jesus? Come on, let's, let's be a church, let's be a people, let's be a company that has history with Jesus. And we know he'll walk in the room when we call on him. It's not just about him walking in the room, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you begin to talk, when you begin to share your testimony, when you begin, come on, when you're doing your tithe and your offering, when you're praying for your neighbor, when you're praying for your friends, when you're praying for your kids, when everything's going sideways, you need to know that you got a friend in Jesus. Because his glory shows up for his friends. Amen. No greater love has any man than this, than that. A man should lay down his life for his friends. He'll do it for you. This is wrapped up in the idea of becoming a child of God because in John 1 and, and verse 12, we see how whenever God the Father blessed or endorsed Jesus, He endorsed Him as a son. Look at this. It says, yet to all who receive Jesus, Him, He gave them power to become sons of God or children of God to those who believe in His name. Let's do that. If you haven't done that, let's just do that. Let's make Him our Lord. Let's make Him our Savior. Let's make sure we're friends and we're building history. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of a time where the glory of God unmistakably happened in your life. You, you were at the point where you might have had a hard time explaining it to somebody, but all your questions were answered in that moment. For me, it was when, when I was born again, you may have several moments where you encountered the glory of God, a healing, maybe you healed a family member, maybe you took someone you love off of their deathbed or out of an incurable or terminal condition, or maybe it was just some sort of a breakthrough. But I want you to think about that for a second. It's just almost like you're going right back there. And if you haven't recognized the glory of God yet in your life, I want you to just open up your heart and say, Lord, I'd love love to encounter your glory and your fullness, your person by the Holy Spirit. So those of you that are thinking of it, keep thinking about what happened. You might think of three or four things. I'm I'm telling you, the atmosphere in here is beginning to shift and change. And I'm telling you, you don't know if you're pulling a miracle in for someone else that's in the room or watching online. But I'm telling you, there is faith in the room and there's power in the room and the glory of God is filling this place. And what he's done for one, he'll do for another. Come on, we've seen so many miracles But I'm telling you, the greatest miracle is living forever with Jesus. Come on. Having your sin forgiven, being born again. But I want you to know right now, some of you probably feeling light in your body. Almost like, hey, I feel like I'm about to float. That's the glory of God is touching you. Go ahead, Lord. Do it again. Heal, save, deliver, set free. So I want to talk to you about one more thing. When Isaiah encountered the very glory of God in Isaiah chapter 6, he was so moved by what he saw, he became aware of his own unworthiness. He became aware that he was a man of unclean lips. He'd been a prophet for five chapters. But he recognized that he, he he did not he did not have what it takes to stand before that glory if you feel that way that you are undeserving well that's good that's the beginning of faith because we can't but we can experience his glory by his grace because he loves you and so you can if, if there's particular sin that you're thinking of, if there's, there's a particular instance or unforgiveness that you're thinking of that you maybe feel, if, if, if you were to see the very glory of God the way Isaiah did, you might have to say the same thing. I want you to know that you can have forgiveness today. You could be set free today. The things that I told you about Jesus and what he did on the cross, that was the penalty being paid for sin. And so you can receive that very same Jesus who died for you. And you can turn from sin. Come on, when you're in the presence of God like that, you don't need anybody to bring you through a checklist to see what you did wrong. It becomes glaringly apparent, you know. There's no masking it. And so, Lord, I just ask you to just release the level of conviction necessary and maybe you feel like you've backslidden. Maybe you feel like you've been there, but it, you, there's been a departure and you're just not walking with Him. I'm telling you, today is the day He will restore you. He will restore you. He will, come on, He'll even restore the years that you wasted. So, at this time, I'm just going to ask um, for the folks that are here if you would just stand. We're going to say a prayer. Hey, if you felt like you recognized that there was something going on that you couldn't really stand before the throne, come on, and know that you're forgiven and know that, come on, you're covered, then this prayer is a prayer you can formalize your turning to Jesus with these words. And we can pray this prayer together. All right, all together. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my salvation. I ask you to forgive me of every sin. I repent and I'm purposing to change the way I think and live. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, help me learn about you and to grow in this kingdom lifestyle. I declare you're my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for receiving me.